Welcome to a jam-packed New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today, a full house. Martin Theobald. And with some dramatic intro... Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm back. I I think it'd almost be weird if you didn't come in with some sort of singing yeah. or something like that now. Yeah. Um, how's your weekend been? Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's had the, he's felt the sand between his fingers this weekend, Martin. Not quite his toes, but you know DIY and shit. Not even my DIY. <laughs> I wouldn't have minded sanding my own living room for the best part of four hours with sandpaper and my hand. You should. So, but it wasn't even my living room, someone else's. He said, if I'd have known, I would have taken my dad's sander. I said, it probably would have been quicker to drive home, pick it up and go back. And you should have seen the dawning realisation in his eyes. No, like, it was an hour away. I'm not driving back to go, fuck off, fuck off. It's not a laughing matter. I've had a shit weekend. Been a bloody Irish dancing thing from nine o'clock this morning. You love Irish dancing. Fuck off again. <laughs> Someone's going to be a you're common a, thing. You're a champion. <laughs> not as of today, I'm not. Oh, really? No. No, I got robbed out of that as well. Why didn't you enter it? I did. Oh, oh, you did it as well? Yeah. Oh, no, no he's lost. That's again, why he's upset. Fuck off. <laughs> right? Why are we even getting into this? This is worse than your love life. I think he lost the final eliminator. Wait a minute. You're banging a Polish bird tonight if all goes well. <laughs> Right. Oh shit. Now we're on. Now we're on. <laughs> well, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> I hope she don't listen. Um, yeah, yeah, Tell her lucky for Katie Taylor. How was your weekend, Terry? <sighs> Quiet. I <laughs> just really watched the boxing <laughs> and the rest of the OJ documentaries. I've got to love a good old OJ documentary. Did he do it? Do you know what? I don't even think he cares anymore. <laughs> I, I, think he, I think he's got to that Didn't point. Didn't he get hammered for tax evasion or something and he got into prison anyway? No, no, no. He, no. What did he go to prison for in the end? <laughs> Apparently armed robbery, kidnapping, because he went to get his memorabilia back. Oh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> and his little mate turned up with a gun and they got done for kidnapping because apparently OJ said, nobody's leaving this room, which in America constitutes a kidnap. Oh, my God. Banter. Yeah. Just pants. <laughs> okay, so we had uh, mm, we had a what promised to be a super duper fight last night, but somehow uh, Carlo Linares turned out to be Linares showing how much better he can beat Anthony Crawler. Yeah, no, it's the rematch no one needed. Um, you know, Crawler got decisively beaten by Linares back in September last year. Why did anyone think it was a great idea to put on the second fight? I mean, unless they had news that Linares was shot, which he clearly wasn't, <clears throat> then there was no purpose in last night other than, I don't know, hoping for a miracle, praying for a miracle. 
and it never came. But Linares was a miracle. Linares, you know, in every sense, was just superb. Like, I'm sure Terry will give you far more of the technical breakdown, but just beautiful to watch. It was like he was just, he was boxing a punch bag for the best part of nine rounds. He just got so relaxed, so chilled out in that ring. I mean, the knockdown was just lovely. Um, that sidestep to the left and the uppercut. I don't think Crawler knew. <laughs> he didn't have a clue where that had come from. Um, but, you know, that lead uppercut that he was throwing all the way through the fight was just a thing of beauty. Crawler, fair play to him for, you know, being a tough enough man to make it all the way through that fight. I know uh, Gallagher wanted to pull him out at the end of the 11th, but he said, no, you know, the fans have come here for the fight, so I'm going back out there for the 12th. And you have to respect that out of the man, but he was outclassed, and there's no shame in that because that was a beautiful performance by Linares. Um, But, yeah, it was just... um, I know we're going to come on to the other stuff, but what we should have had over the course... You know, in an ideal boxing world where we've had two nights of boxing Friday and Saturday, it would have just been to have the two headline fights on one card and then fuck everything else that came with the whole shows because they were fucking awful. Just to speak about Linares again quickly, he's, his punches were so spiteful. Everything... Like, every time Crawler landed something, I thought it was homer simpson-esque in its weakness and i think i was only high i only looked that way because of the stinging spite in which lenares landed his punch i thought oh my god i don't know how if anything crawler the fact that crawler was taking those and not falling apart was the most impressive part about his performance i mean crawler was just relying on that left hook i think to the body which you know won him the world title but it wasn't good enough to to beat lenares terry take us into the deepest darkest elements of this fight I still just enjoy De La Hoya calling him Corolla. <laughs> that genuinely made me happy. I haven't even bothered learning his name. It was like he was hoping he was Mexican. And he was really disappointed. They said to him, mate, we've got a fight for Linares against Corolla. Ah, that's all, all, South, all Latin American thing. Brilliant. I'll come to Manchester. <laughs> Who's this guy? <laughs> Who the hell is this guy who looks like a 15-year-old kid? <laughs> I mean, like, God bless De La Hoya, man. He looked clean as well, so, you know I mean? That's, which is always good news. Don't know what underwear he was wearing, though. <laughs> um, Linares looked impressive, no? I thought Linares did. He did all the things I nag people about continuously. And if you listen to the podcast often enough, you'll hear me use the expression, it's about controlling that space. That space between you and the opponent should always be yours. And all Linares did is just put an arm in there. Sometimes he jabbed, sometimes he just put an arm in there. Um, Nothing miraculous. To begin with, nothing miraculous. If you watch the fight, first couple of rounds, he just put his jab out there. You know, touch him, touch him. Control the space and let Crawler know it's not an easy walk in like he had with Barossa. Barossa wasn't doing that. Barossa was going with power shots all the time so Crawler could time it and shut the distance down. Whereas what Linares actually did was he he used that jab and it disorientated Crawler. What Crawler did is he came square in with a high guard and Linares learned from last time and just went in with the uppercuts. What, a Gallagher fighter just walking in with a square guard? <laughs> that doesn't sound right. Never seen it before. <laughs> Never. <laughs> I assumed Joe Gallagher was going to mix it all up entirely for this fight and you know you come up with that, a brand new game plan do, 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 and do all that bollocks he worked 16 hours in the gym and I'm a bit like what, what, doing what? <laughs> what are you doing for 16 hours maybe yeah. maybe he's jiffed every surface I don't know <laughs> it's, 
It's the cleanest gym in Manchester. But but uh, you listen to the guys that talk. Uh, Joe's always sat. He's always on YouTube. He's always watching fights. I think he's just like that guy at work. You're like guy at work that's always on eBay selling stuff <laughs> in the corner. But he looks like he's working really hard. <laughs> what are you doing? Watching no. fights. But but Lenara's just. He, he learned from last time. And as soon as he saw that Crawler wasn't going to give him anything different, he said, do you know what? Last time I didn't really rip him with those uppercuts. So all he had to do was jab down the middle, a few uppercuts, and it forced Crawler to close his elbows together. And as soon as he did that, Linares would just come around the corner with hooks. And then you could see Crawler was like, fuck, I don't know what I'm getting hit with here. So he's, And if you notice, he went back to the corner and Gallagher's not telling him anything. <laughs> Gallagher's not saying, mate, you're getting hit because you're square on and your hands are too far up. You've got to move your head. But I haven't taught squarer. you any of these things. Yeah. <laughs> be squarer. I love that. I think that might be why he's getting me. You, Just square up. You can see him on YouTube during the rounds, <laughs> watching fights. Who's this Linares guy? <laughs> I've got Corolla. <laughs> Shit, I was watching Santa Cruz. <laughs> this and I'm listening to the corner work and I'm like but you're telling him to do stuff I don't think you've ever taught him to do <laughs> just win w- win you're not winning win so, so you saw what Linares did Linares boxed to get enough of a lead that he could then have fun towards the latter end of the fight and you could see that he actually said you know what uh, this guy's not going to knock me out I'm going to have some fun and he had some fun with Crawler and I like the fact that in that 12th round he looked at Crawler and said what do you want to do in this round you know, because you saw he was just tapping with the jab, you know, just like, let's get through this round. Yeah. I and then, and then Crawler, that, yeah. Crawler came in quite heavy. Yeah. And then, and then, then he turned like, it on. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, okay. That was quality. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. the first 30 seconds. <laughs> and then he just started unloading, and I thought, oh dear. <laughs> you know when you know when you're throwing those four punch. It was those four punch combinations Lenaros would throw, and you're like, every one of those connected. Wow. Like, mate, just put your hands down. That's what I felt like halfway through the fight. I'm like, put your hands down. There was periods in that fight, it was the clearest example that I've seen before, where he was baiting him with with shots. Bait, bait, bait. And as soon as Crawler got used to blocking those shots, then he'd come in with different shots and catch him completely. And it was really impressive. But here's a question I have for everyone that listens to this, right? Those guys are the same age to within about 12 months of each other. Oh, Really? What the hell has Crawler been doing his whole boxing life that he can't do what Linares is doing? Like, he made Linares look like he just came from space. But I'm like, mate, he came from a pokey gym in Venezuela. What the hell are they teaching them that Joe Gallagher clearly doesn't know? Carfwatch said you can't teach that. Um, I think you find you can, because <laughs> it seems everyone You're who's born not British with it. can do it. But, but, no, no, but here's the point about guys like Linares. Linares has such a control over the fundamentals of boxing. And he, he so, so to me, fundamentals are, you need to be able to, number one, defend yourself, which he can do. Head movement there was incredible. Like he'd have, he'd have a four, four move sequence and make Crawler miss four times. You know, that's humbling to watch. He then had the control. So he used his jab just to control the pace of the fight. So it happened when he wanted it to happen. So I think you have to have defense, control, attack. And his attacks were ripping. And because he's mastered all those fundamentals, he can be creative. So when he got that knockdown, he, he had already timed Crawler. He knew what Crawler would do. He'd throw a desperate lunging right or he'd go to do that. So just step to your left, throw the uppercut, knowing that the chin's always there for you. 
And it was just, it was just a. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure to watch. Like I know we're sometimes uh, criticised for being overly critical of things, but it was just, it was a lovely fight to watch. And was, Crawler played his part in that. Like make no yeah. mistake, his um, his continuous grafting. Um, you know, he was out of his depth entirely. I think the best thing Linares ever did on these shores was get knocked over by Kevin Mitchell. Because I think that gave Hearn this impression that Linares was shot. <laughs> and he's just been coming back over, picking so, up paychecks. But, but, I have, well, see, but I have a theory on this. And, you know, the boxing universe, it'll be good to understand this. Hearn will only put a pay-per-view on when he knows his guy's going to win. So I think, like, with Crawler Linares, he was like, listen, I don't think my guy's going to win. I'm just going to put this on free to air. What's the point in getting excited about it? Because I'm only going to have to justify a loss. So I think that happened in the first fight. Let's just put it free to air. And then he realised, shit, there's a little bit more money that we can make here. But was like, nah, this Linares is too good. Fuck, I just don't want to fight Flanagan. That's really what this is about. He doesn't want to fight Flanagan. He's sooner move up. But I feel for Crawler now because his career's at a horrible point where he, he can't fight for another title again because he wasn't credible at that level. But he's too good to be a journeyman or a stepping stone for anyone. Excuse me. Sam um, on Twitter asks, where does Crawler go now and could changing a trainer help? Oh, changing his trainer help. It has to be the Flanagan fight, surely. I know you're just saying that he's not in that position to fight for the World Tots. You don't really want to see him in with Mikey Garcia. You want to see Linares go and fight Mikey Garcia. Surely the Terry Flanagan fight just makes sense for everyone involved. You know, Flanagan's crying out for a legitimate win. Crawler... Just take that fight, win or lose, and go out. You know, on the back of that, that's a pay per view fight for Eddie. If they can make it, you know, Flanagan's a Warren fighter, so that adds that layer of uh, difficulty. But just make that fight. Everyone will be happy. You know, win or lose for Crawler to take that fight and then sail off into the sunset and leave the sport. Um, Will he have made enough money from it? Don't know. Don't hopefully he has, um, but he's always going to have a like Sky would hire him as a pundit tomorrow if he retired today. I guarantee you that because he's just such a nice bloke and he comes across very well when he's interviewed. He's not, you know, he's a good looking bloke, he's got all his wits about him. Apart still. from that really awkward one with the Geordie lady, did you hear that one when he was getting no. his hands wrapped? So she, she starts asking questions and he's looking at her like, Are you really because it was like she was reading it off a script. So, Anthony, <laughs> you're fighting Jorge Linares. Like, she kept trying to go, Jorge, and she did it with Oscar De La Hoya, and he just... That came. does my nut when they do that. Yeah, he looked charlie up when she did that. Like, the fuck? <laughs> huh? So, yeah, I'd, I, you know, I'd like to see Crawler fight, fight Flanagan and then call it a day. Would be my ideal scenario. Now. Is Jorge Linares the best-looking ma- best man in boxing? Also asks Sam. If not, then Frank Buglioni's got to be up there. He's a looker. No, no, Antonio Carl Margarita. Frotch, mate. Uh, Margarita. Margarita. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like he's been run over. <laughs> Brian Rose in his nose. He wins every day. <laughs> the only man with a right angle in his nose. Um, Butter beans retired, so I guess it's up for. But break. back to the point about what does Crawler do? Do you stay with Gallagher? <laughs> no. Like, like, how many boxers? Like, I, I was talking to Martin earlier, and I said. The first text Ann Crawler got was from Scott Quigg going, ha, 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 told you. <laughs> That's all it would have said, told you. Come P- and see me and Fred. Yeah, God, P.S. Cool. L.A. is sunny as hell. 
And and the thing about Crawler is, if he's, I will say, Roach as a coach isn't a builder. So Freddie Roach isn't a builder. He's a fixer. What he's good at is taking someone who can already box and just tweaking a few things and making you more attacking. It's probably what Quig needs, and it's definitely what Crawler needs, is that forget all this hands-up nonsense. Yeah? You're going to go in and you're going to attack people. You're going to make it hell for them for the first eight rounds and then see what they've got left down the stretch. That's what Roche can give that to you. So Roche can give you an extra three or four years on your career and make you exciting. But we've discussed this many times how the Gallagher blueprint's just been figured out. And you know what they're trying to do. They're trying to take it late into the fight. So look at Linares. Linares said, I'm just going to beat you up then. First seven rounds, I'm just going to beat you up. Yeah. Now you've got to stop me. You're not going to win it on the cards. You've got to stop me. I just love to watch. It was so dynamic. Just his boxing was just so dynamic. It was all over the place. Was that because Crawler, Crawler style was allowing him to be that sort of dynamic? Or? <clears throat> Don't underestimate how smart he was. Like, he, he, if, if you count how many effective movements he made in that fight, an effective movement is anything that puts you in a good position offensively or defensively. He, it was two to one on Crawler. Crawler was just plodding. And Linares would put his foot in, slide it back out. The left hook would miss completely. And he kept doing that. He kept, bait, he kept baiting Crawler's subconscious, not not in the rational part of his brain, his subconscious with those little foot movements and the little jerks. And how many times did he do it on the left to right as well? It's almost, you know when you see a, a winger like running down the line and then they dip the left shoulder and then go to the right and the defender falls for it and they've gone. Like, you watch how many times Linares <laughs> and when Crawler was just chasing him around the ring <laughs> like Linares would go one way and just drift back the other and it was just it was how relaxed he was that impressed me it was lovely if Linares Garcia is next it's definitely 50-50 no, so it's Stan not. on stop, Twitter stop right, <laughs> okay, stop, right. stop right there let's be absolutely clear about this right, right. here you go Stan sit down and pay attention <laughs> you're going to get torn Lin- a new one Linares' biggest win before Crawler was Kevin Mitchell you know all, all look the guy was fighting Japanese bods we've never heard of he lost to Antonio DeMarco just just think about that <laughs> yeah, for a second yeah. right so <clears throat> this isn't a guy who's been stellar from day one like Linares has grown into his craft and he's learned it the hard way so you're comparing Linares who's learned his craft the hard way with Mikey Garcia who's golden through and through he's in the right camp he's with the right people He's had probably the more difficult fights. And I think Garcia's a naturally bigger man as well. So I don't think it's a 50-50 fight. I think... Well, he he then goes on to say, the question is, will uh, Linares' left hooks to the body be better than Garcia's right bombs slash jabs? But this is to uh, completely misunderstand how Roberto Garcia sets his fighters up. So if you remember when Maidana was pre-Robert Garcia and post-Robert Garcia. Look how important the left hand became for Marcos Maidana, where he could use the jab, and he could turn that jab into a hook. Um, you know, Robert Garcia will give his fighters <laughs> dimensions, so I don't think it's as simple as one punch versus another punch. Right. It, will, it will be who's got the complete arsenal in that fight. Okay, so, so then he asks, finally, as part of that, lastly, what, in your opinion, will be the deciding factor if they do face off? Um... Garcia's size, Garcia's ring intelligence. Like, Crawler doesn't have great ring intelligence, but Garcia 
is the consummate boxer. You know all that hype that was attached to Roman Gonzalez. It's no coincidence that it all evaporated last week and went straight to Mikey Garcia all of a sudden. He's now the hipster's choice for the same reason. He's he's pretty much 10 out of 10 on all his fundamentals, which then enables him to do some of the flashier stuff. So are we done? Colonaris, have we exhausted this? Only that fight. Let's move on to the others. Cause, like, let's but, look but, at it holistically. But, you know, but I just want to say the highlight of the whole card is still that money supermarket advert with Skeletor. <laughs> I don't care what anyone says. That made my evening. Um, in honour of Red Nose Day, uh, Brian Rose made his nose nice and red after Jack just left it out there for Jack Arnold to tear apart. But um, a lot of people had... Well, I say they were, the Sky Pundits had it as a draw uh, and then Arnfield seemingly won by the judges pretty... Easily, can, which way can I give this the breakdown they deserve? Oh, sorry, yeah. Um, Martin, let me just pull out your soapbox because <laughs> uh, you want to have a go, don't you? Yeah, this pull the string. If you remember last week, right? We said this was a night that only needed one fight on it, it didn't <laughs> need the rest of the card. Now, I'm not here to say, told you so, but what a load of fucking bollocks that entire thing was. Like, holistically, let's look at it. You had Martin J. Ward. And Maxi Hughes in the trilogy nobody's asked for. Like, <laughs> this is their third fight. Like the other two weren't fucking barnstormers. So it's not as if the public have been demanding the third fight there. Twelve rounds, brilliant. <laughs> Arnfield Rose was one of the worst twelve round fights I like of the last two years that I can think of. Like absolutely dreadful. And you know, they tr- what I hate about it is the Sky commentators refuse to acknowledge how shit what we're watching is. And so you've got them just like painting over it and then making excuses for them by saying that, you know, these two lads have like sparred over many uh, rounds up in Blackpool. So, you know, maybe they know each other too well. Blah, blah. Maybe you've got two lads that aren't really that good because you haven't got money for an undercard. And that's fine. Like, if you haven't got money for an undercard, don't have an undercard. <laughs> that's absolutely fine. But you seem to justify. Sky seem to think they need like three and a half, four hours or whatever of a boxing show on a Saturday night. You don't. You just needed that Crawl and Nara's fight. Look, you will put fans off if you have to sit and watch 12 rounds of Martin Ward versus Maxi Hughes and Armfield versus Rose before you get to anything. I mean, we haven't even touched on the Katie Taylor debacle. But if you're going to make fans sit through that to get to something that resembles decent boxing, then how are you expecting the sport to grow if you're building... No wonder they didn't fucking advertise this show for however long. No wonder Sky didn't bother with it, because it's woeful. And that Armfield Rose fight was... Like, they attached a WBC silver or WBA silver. I don't know what it was. Wow. Yeah, and that <laughs> turns it into a 12-rounder. Like, why the hell do you need that? Just do it for nothing... Like, make it a one-rounder. Make it a first of a televised one-rounder scheduled for one round. And that would have still been 180 seconds too that long. Been, that would have been one for Liam Smith. <laughs> Do it in a Barcelona leisure centre, but lock the doors before the TV cameras get there. So no one ever has to witness it. Because it was awful. And what I say really got my nuts that Sky just won't acknowledge how bad it was. The whole undercard acknowledge how bad it was because we're coming on to katie taylor now and like i know we've got a couple of questions about it but again she i mean claire my wife turns to me and says wasn't katie taylor boxing the other week like yeah she was on the hey bell you undercard 
Right, so why is she fighting again this week? Because she's that good. Yeah, because they've dug up another corpse for her this week <laughs> to go and knock around the ring. This is the strings tied to her, like Eddie Hearns at the top yeah. moving. <laughs> that Thunderbird one, yeah. ready to pick her up after. What was the point in that Katie Taylor fight? Just <laughs> a shambles. Like This is how they're building a lady who could clearly, she's levels above who she's fighting right now. And apparently, I haven't bothered looking into it because I don't care, that opponent was a former world title challenger. So what does that say oh, about... Wait, wait, hold on. Did they say she was like the GBU? <laughs> Is that what it was? I, I didn't... I wasn't listening. That's because I remember... I was like... Is that what you text me? <laughs> right. It was something like she fought for the GBU and I was like... The what? Wow. Woo. No, I didn't... Uh... But, I mean, she had a record of, like, 9, 6, and 1. And then they're saying this is a woman who's challenged for a world title. Imagine that in the men's sport. If you had somebody who's not even got 10 wins, but has also got 7 fights that weren't wins. (laughs) And they're in a world title fight. You'd be losing your shit over it. (laughs) You've got a feel for it, though. She probably would have challenged for another one. But you couldn't get the time off one. (laughs) So... Look, it was I, Christmas. It's a peak time. <laughs> I don't know who that woman was, and I don't care who that woman was. But I'm going to give her credit, though, because she showed up and upset the script. Now, whatever that lady's name is, you know, Svetlana Markova, don't know. But <laughs> being, being brutally honest, like, she was super tough because she was brought in there to get stopped, and she refused to get stopped. And she didn't even look like she was in trouble. Because, you know... In the last round, she came back and went, is that the best you've got? So that made me... See, I now like her. I want to see her on Matchroom shows. And it's made me go, this Katie Taylor, it, it, the hype train is slowly derailing. And that's why Hearn will accelerate the world title show. Because remember, they were talking about 12 months for a world title. Now it's like, oh, we'll do it next. But look, I'm sure there are questions about women's boxing. And let me have a fuller discussion there because, you know, I've I've touched on something that's quite contentious. But... I'm bored of seeing Katie Taylor fight people she's better than. Either pay someone to come out of the amateurs to fight her or just say, look, she's too good for everyone. We'll fight for world titles. That's all we're fighting for. Now. Can I just say, before we move on like to the questions about women's boxing, which will mean we can cover it slightly more comprehensively, that Sky show was so bad last night. But what really stuck out for me, you've got an Olympian, Lawrence Coley, who you've made a big deal out of signing... You made a big deal out of the fact he's debuting on the Crawler Linares show. I didn't even see him live last night because he, as Terry just said, there was an upset to the script in the, how long did the Taylor fight go? Ten, was it? Was it eight, eight, or rounds. T- eight rounds. Eight rounds, yeah. So you had eight rounds of that, 12 rounds of Hughes, uh, Maxi Hughes and Martin J. Ward, and 12 rounds of Brian... Delicious rounds. Of- <laughs> and 12 rounds of Brian Rose versus Jack Armfield. So in total... You've got 32 rounds there. Plus you had Marcus Morrison and Jason Wellborn, which you're going to uh, come on to in a bit. And so you've got like over 35 rounds there. So that went on far too long. It's like buying an Adele album and only liking Hometown Glory. (laughs) That's what it's like. You're like, I've listened to all of this just for this one song. Yeah. And so you've got all of this crap on the undercard. And you managed to not squeeze in the Lawrence Coley fight, which they then had to put back to after the Anthony Crawler fight. He finished his man in 20 seconds. Like, that's exactly the fight you should have had after Brian Rose, Jack Armfield. Because nah. I've seen Lawrence Coley's opponent before, and I could have told you that was going to finish in under a minute. 
because let's be like brutally honest about this, Jeffrey Cave isn't very good, and that's fine. Like it's fine for somebody to be debuting against that. I know they had to change the opponent late because Ross Henshaw, who was meant to be fighting, got knocked out the week before. But it was always going to be a quick knockout. And that's exactly what you should have done after that shit fest of Rose Arnfield to get the crowd back. <laughs> shit fest. <laughs> but to get the crowd semi-interested in boxing again rather than more in like Googling how to tie a noose, which you'd have been doing after like round 10. <laughs> Most trending on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, which is what you'd have been doing after round 10 if you were in that place. Like you should have put Lawrence Coley on. You should have put Lawrence Coley on after that to get them back up for it. It was just it was all the wrong way round. And Lawrence Coley boxed in front of a near empty Manchester arena. So, so, so someone said on Twitter, "Yeah, imagine you're Lawrence Coley now, scratching around for Frank Warren's number." <laughs> That's how was, bad it is? Yeah. Like, can I do my debut again? <laughs> no one saw it last night. It's fine. And I feel for him because. He is genuinely someone you should put money behind. Because when you saw him knock out Gary Cave, you suddenly believed all the rumours you heard about him standing people on their head and sparring. You're like, I think he could have done that. Yeah, it was a huge knockout. It was, um, yeah, it was bad. But anyway, like that's my holistic approach to the matchroom card. And they just got it wrong. Like you, If Eddie Hearn says anything about, oh, it's a great card or whatever... Tweet him and tell him he's talking out of his arsehole because it was awful. Um, what did you think to the uh, Rose Arnfield fight, Terry, after mine? <laughs> I went out and got food. <laughs> right, yeah, probably, probably, probably for the best. Like, well, well, Katie Taylor kills the crowd. I watched the first two or three rounds of this fight and the crowd's like, you know, everyone just went to go, either went to get beer or just jump off the fucking Right, edge. okay, so Baz asks... <clears throat> Is women's boxing a bit of a novelty for now that will wear off? Or are the likes of Katie Taylor and Clarissa Shields pioneers for a new age of boxing um, as we have it now? If the latter, how should it evolve? I'm going to answer this through four different dimensions. I'm going to answer it as myself as a boxing fan, myself as a boxing coach, someone who's been involved in business. And as Skeletor. (laughs) Well, no, no. <laughs> you bumbling, blithering idiots! That's a great impression. That's better than your bell you want. No, so, 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 as a boxing fan, it genuinely is. Well. Shut up. So, as a boxing fan, I haven't liked what I've seen so far. Um, the women's boxing I've liked has been when the ability levels are more or less the same. So watching a lot of the stuff in Mexico is entertaining because it is. It's like they've, just, they've, got, they've got two ladies out of the Sinaloa cartel and said, you lot duke it out. <laughs> entertaining. And I respect what they do because I'm watching it going, okay, this is why I'm paying money. Watching Katie Taylor beat someone she wouldn't have even sparred had she been in Ireland, in, instead of been in the Ireland amateur setup takes the piss and i got stick from for this for from a couple of female boxers who missed the point here conceptually i love the idea of women's boxing i think you should be you should be able to defend yourself it's good for your health and if it's you if you're that good that you can turn it into a profession i stand solidly behind you but if you're asking me to pay to consume that, because ultimately that's how these guys are going to make money, is from people paying, then it doesn't work as things stand because I am not getting my 35 quid's worth. 
So then you say, okay, how do you fix it? What Eddie Hearn should have really done, right? He should have signed three. Katie Taylor, Nicola Adams, and Savannah Marshall are the three he should have signed. And he should have stuck them on that next-gen thing like he's got everyone else on and said, you're going to box in this next-gen thing until you cross over. And then you're going to go straight onto these pay-per-view shows. Why? It means it's not forced down my throat. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm being forced to appreciate a product which is bullshit. Because let's go back to when Joshua started fighting. We're like, why is he fighting these stiffs? He's light years better than these stiffs. We were saying that from day one. So, so is Katie Taylor's opponents being poorly chosen or is it just not le- level well, enough well, no, opponents okay. for her well, to choose? Okay, you know, let's, let's start with what's what we know to be true. Katie Taylor came out of a setup where she was a full-time boxer. Amateur pro, ignore that for a second. She was a full-time boxer, which meant that's all she did. She's now a full-time boxer still, so there's not much difference in her life. She's now fighting, instead of fighting people who were in the same boat as her, who had the best coaches, the best sports medicine, the best spreadsheets, the best everything. She's now fighting against women who have jobs. Some have children. They have lives, which means they can't dedicate themselves to the sport. And it's not fair on them that they're being forced to then fight. You know, you're fighting a ringer, essentially. And that's who I feel sorry for. So when people say to me, I'm being negative about women's boxing, no, I'm being positive because I'm about fairness. Let's set it up so these women who are the opponents have time to train as well so they can get their nutrition and they can get their supplements and they can get all the things right and make it competitive. Because women's boxing, when competitive, could be entertaining. Supplements or supplements? Both. Like, the, the, For those at home that couldn't see Andy's hand movements around the first supplements. <laughs> <laughs> Quotation marks. Yeah, so so the, there's, there's life for women's boxing, but the, the second thing they need to address actually is the lack of knockouts and the lack of real impact in these punches. How can Katie Taylor throw the best part of six, seven hundred punches in a fight and this lady didn't drop? That makes me wonder, you know, what am I really watching here? So, eventually, masterclass. eventually we're going to get bored of this and we're not going to care because... If I'm these- not sure I have care. I, I'm, I, I start from a position of not caring and I have to then find a way to care and that hasn't and got me to that and, stage. And, so I already don't care just by the natural... So look at look look, look how cynical non-progression. Yeah, look at how cynical this has all been so far. Let's take people who have a profile built up off the Olympics at various points, and let's see if they can move the needle. So I'm sure Hearn has gone. How many buys for pay per views did we get in Ireland and Katie Taylor's? And nah, it wasn't that great. How many viewers did we get in Ireland on this Colin Linares thing when Katie Taylor's on? Nah, it wasn't that great. She doesn't move the needle. At least we're not paying her that much, so we can just put her on a fight for under ten grand. Yeah. That's quite a cheap fight to make on a pay-per-view card. That's why she gets so many pay-per-view slots. But let's see where we are in five years. I don't believe in five years' time there will be anyone who's making a comfortable living off their boxing purses alone. Do MMA shows, like UFC shows, do they get headlined by female matches? Or are they part of a sort of, you know, is there... Rousey Male was the head- first, wasn't she? Yeah. Recently, she headlined. She's done one and she got beaten. Yeah, she headlined the, the Holly Holm one, didn't she? Right, so primarily that's what people were paying to see. Is that correct? Well, well, they built Ronda Rousey properly. 
and, and, yeah, I'm, and not, I'm just wondering if it's even possible. That's what I can't, like for Katie Taylor to become but, a headline but, but, act. But, but, but Rousey beat people who were legit, and we knew. Like, like it didn't take long to see who Misha Tate was. And you were like, woo, this Misha Tate can go. So, Holly Holm can go. There's no debate there, about are it. Are there opponents out there for Katie Taylor? No. Right. So there's no then, one. So then there's nothing they can really do, is there? No. Just... And this is where they got it wrong. Like, they should have got someone like Sam Smith and put money behind her and said, listen, we can put you in the ring with people because you've fought these guys before and you've beaten them. Then we can go, oh, this is quite competitive. And then once we, once you've done that, then give me Katie Taylor. But you've given me, you know, it's like someone saying to you, I'm going to give you the Rolls Royce, but I want you to love these Ford Mondeos I'm going to bring behind it. It's like, no, 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 I want more of this. Or I don't want any of it. And the truth is, we don't want any of it. They're talking about um, Nicola Adams being in talks of Eddie Hearn. Well, she's with Frank Warren. She's signed with Frank Warren. Oh, okay. All right. Fine. Fair enough. And she was in the States to watch her girlfriend make her fight debut as well. Yeah, you said she was with the girl from that she fought in the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of cool, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, and and people be uncomfortable when I say this, but that's how she's killing her career. I doubt she's the only female boxer from the LBGT community, but the others have kept it relatively quiet and have you know have tried to push their commercial appeal by being quite mainstream. So I don't know if Nicola Adams is doing this the right way or not. Um. But she needs to also understand that it has an impact on everyone who comes up behind her. And when people say Terry doesn't like women's boxing, listen, I don't care about these guys at the top who have had the advantage of boxing internationally. What I care about is the ladies who are coming up saying, I wouldn't mind going pro, but I don't have any of those advantages. I want them to be able to eat. Okay. That was longer than planned, sorry. No. Four dimensions covered. We we kind of... <laughs> um, I liked the skeletal one the best. Um, we kind of covered this, and I don't suppose there's much else to go into. Um, the cave, a colleague cave fight. No, it's 20 seconds, a colleague uh, smashing to pieces. Great knockout, but as I say, I've seen uh, Jeffrey Cave fight before, and you know he's, he's not very good, but they had to get somebody in at very short notice that's willing to take very short money to fight an Olympian. Um, what struck me was Akoli's, like, reach. His arms look like, like, twice as long as his legs. Stand, in, stand in front of Lawrence Akoli, and I swear to God, you don't see sunlight. He, he has the widest collarbones I've ever seen on a human being. And it doesn't help that he's like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. He's squeezed he into cruiserweight he as well, isn't he? He massive. The only other person I've seen like that is my friend Big Chris Brown, who boxes at 91 kilos. Which Did he want to beat Rihanna up? Or? No, no, Chris isn't like that. <laughs> well, a different Chris Brown. Yeah. All right. All right. I love the fact that straight away he defends his mentality, not the fact that. No, of course it isn't. Different <laughs> <laughs> Chris Brown. Apologies to this Chris Brown. Yeah, and Chris, never beaten any just pop stars. Queue up, up outside Rihanna's house. We've all got the same name. We're giving you a paste in <laughs> I'm Big Chris Brown. <laughs> You, you got handled by a little one. I'm no, no, Chris, six foot yeah. nine and I box at straw weight. I'm still going to give you a pasty. But why am I taking the piss? This man sounds massive. Yeah. <laughs> he sounds huge. My apologies to this so Chris how, Brown. How tall is no. he and what weight does he box at? Chris is about six six and he boxes at ninety one. I don't know how he makes the weight. Like it's, it's it's unbelievable. But the thing is that at that weight, those guys get so much leverage on that punch. It travels about a mile and a half. Can they show Nick Webb how to do that? <laughs> 
We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, can you take Nick Webb down the gym? Um, well, we can go straight to that if you want. Can because you Marcus Morris? Well, if you, oh, well, we there's have, a question, wasn't there? There was a question about Marcus Morrison, wasn't there? But, there was. Uh, based on Morrison's performance last night, too many hype jobs televised. Why are they marketable and profitable for promoters? This is a good question, James right? Lupton. Um So Marcus Morrison was handed over by Eddie Hearn to another promoter for one of his previous fights. Um, so he went off of Sky, uh, and I can't remember who it was. Was it Kieran Farrell, maybe? Someone like that up north in Manchester. Um, and then he's come back to Sky for this. Now, Marcus Morrison is well-hyped middleweight. Um and this is first. It's stupid, really. They were even calling it a step up. Wellborn, let's not forget, Jason Wellborn lost to William Warburton last year. William Warburton being the archetypal journeyman. He's got like 96 losses on his record. He beat this Jason Wellborn. And his bread. Twat. <laughs> he beat this Jason Wellborn um, <laughs> last year. Wellborn was known for troubling Matthew Macklin. Um but let's not forget this. Jason Wellborn also got stopped by Frankie Gavin. Like, and welterweight. He got stopped by a fat welterweight. Uh, <laughs> a man who should legitimately be at 140 pounds who's working his way down there. Good luck to Frankie for doing that. And also got stopped by Tyan Booth as super middleweight. Yeah. And so Marcus Morrison should have handled him if he was as good. Now, interesting point here, right? <laughs> I, I've seen highlights of it. I've not seen all of it. It just didn't really interest me that much. Um, but I've seen how much of a pace in Marcus Morrison took through that fight, and allegedly he broke his jaw in the second round. I don't know. I've not seen if that's been confirmed or not. He took a beating off of Warburton in that fight, and from every clip that I've seen of it, he looks like a man who doesn't want to be in that boxing ring. Like, doesn't want to be in there at all. Why did Joe Gallagher allow him to carry on, and yet was trying to pull Anthony Crawler out in the 11th round? I, I don't. I don't have an answer for that, other than maybe, you know... Give him a bit of a hard grounding, uh, and you know maybe teach him a bit of a lesson through being in there when it gets really tough. He wasn't going to win that fight by all accounts. No, but what Carl Frost said, the middle. Uh, I think it was Frost or Johnny Nelson. They said this, and this is the truest thing they said about that fight. And they said that was the sort of fight you'd want as a four rounder. Like have a four round war, nicking on the judges' scorecards, but you've learned. Mm. Like like he went to war for ten rounds, and he got beaten in such a way that. I don't think he can come back from that. Like that—that that was a pacing. That was, forget the boxing for a second. That was a man saying to you, "There is nothing you can do to affect me, but everything I, everything I'm doing right now is affecting you, and I can see you're scared." I don't know how you live with that as a fighter because that—that's right at the heart of that, as Chris Eubank Senior calls it, the warrior code, and he. <coughs> He took an absolute shellacking from a guy that I'm like, you made you made that guy look like the hardest man on earth. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, going back to the, are there too many hype jobs uh, televised? Why are they marketed and uh, profitable for promoters? I think it's probably fair to say I don't know what Marcus Morrison sells ticket wise uh, up in Manchester. I haven't got a clue. They're likely not um, profitable necessarily at this stage of their career. But, you know, Hearns, it's a long game, isn't it? If you pick out one of these that goes on to become long-term profitable, then excellent. But Marcus Morrison's not going to be around at Matchroom for very long after last night if he stays in the sport. Again, as Terry said, it's it's a difficult road back. Um, but he's not going to be around at Matchroom. You know, that's uh, 
that's got to be the end of him, surely. There's no there's no reason to keep him on other than he's associated to Joe Gallagher. Um, yeah, I agree. There are a lot of hype jobs. You going to name is, any? This is... Uh, am I going to name any? Am I going to name any? Callum Smith, there's one. Um, you could go... You two, if you actually sat if and I think sat, yeah, Tuesday, you can go on forever. If you could let me run through the, uh, the entire Matchroom website right now and just say yes or no. Um, but we'll do that another week. But, yeah. <laughs> We've got nothing else to talk about. We'll just go, right, uh, hype jobs. Yeah. <laughs> An hour and a half of you listing boxes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this is great, though, because this weeds out which ones are hype jobs or not. Giving them someone uh, like Jason Wellborn and letting them take a bit of a beating for all those rounds, I'm all for that. Like If that means there's one less hype job in the matchroom stable that we have to sit through on Anthony Crawler undercards, I'm all for that. And if we do see Morrison, of course, it will be a return of the Mac. Um, let's move on to Friday's <laughs> Okay. I, I was going to put that one in. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Um, before um, we speak about Nick Webb and his uh, gloriously named opponent on our, on our uh, notes, uh, let's talk about Josh Taylor and Joubert. What can we talk about this fight? Uh, I think his name's Warren Joubert. Most South Africans of the Africana stock tend to be called Warren Ernest or something that <laughs> implies apartheid. Um, train by, train tend, by, tend to be called. Fucking mad names like Skulk and fucking Eugene and fucking Terrible. Fucking. I mean, like, they all just fucking got black people in cages in their fucking farms and shit. I don't trust those guys. <laughs> So, so I, was, I, I was really I was, I was rooting for Josh Taylor on that I one. love the fact you don't do any sweeping statements Terry. Terry, you're rooting for Josh Taylor because you think this man holds black people in cages in his back garden <laughs> right that's not a fact anyone by the way yeah. we're not accusing allegedly him. <laughs> but anyway yeah, yeah so, so is it even alleged that's the thing <laughs> by Terry <laughs> they're like oh I'm glad he's fighting this week maybe they'll finally find out that we're locked in cages in his garden just got a fritzel bunker on <laughs> <laughs> the bottom of the garden lord right oh. what are we on about Josh Taylor probably Ernest Joubert oh, no. <laughs> I think Ernest Joubert is a rugby player but yeah. <laughs> no look so you know Josh has to defend his Commonwealth title I think one of the rules of defending the Commonwealth title is Champions from any Commonwealth country can put a claim in to fight for their belt. So they got this guy. Um, legitimately looked like he chewed and spat tobacco, you know, when he doesn't box. And, you know, probably has a four-wheel drive, guessing, you know, Toyota Hilux. Double cab. But no, no, no. The, the, guy, was, the guy was just very basic, up and down, but he was tough. And it was good for, for Taylor to do those rounds. Um, you know, I thought Josh looked, he looked good. And if we have to accept that this is going to be his style, this very much hit and get hit, then fair enough. I'm okay watching that because he's got the combinations and the accuracy to cause anyone trouble. But there's got to be more to it at some point. I'm a big Josh Taylor fan. And maybe it's just that he's fighting to the level of his opposition. And when he does fight that higher level, if he does fight to Tyrone Nurse or Nahara Davis... You know, he'll be a lot more measured and circumspect. That's what I'm hoping for. But 
it was a it was a good win. It was a tough. It was a tough win. You know, opponent was game. And, you know, give Colin Nathan his credit for pulling his opponent out at the right time. He's never going to win yeah. that. And I, I like to see that. You know, this myth that you always have to see the final bell. Look, I'd rather you live to fight another day. I think uh, it possibly, well, it definitely didn't help um, Josh Taylor. He got that cut above the eye early. Was it second round? Yeah. Um, which is quite a bad one from a clash of heads. Uh, and so I think at that point, you know, clearly they'd said for round three, go out there and try and finish this job. Finish don't risk the uh, the cut getting any worse and so he went out there just all guns blazing from the start of round three couldn't get him out there so fair play to Jubair. um you know unless he does keep black people in cages but uh oh. you know let's assume he doesn't then fair play to him um because he took some real beating in that round it was uh, that third round was a hard round for him and uh it, it was I like Josh Taylor. He's going to be in exciting fights, I suspect, for the rest of his career. Um, he's very, very big for the weight of super lightweight. Um, he looks like he punches hard, punches with spite. Uh, Bear has got a few losses on his record, so uh, it's you know he was expected to win that Josh Taylor. I think he was like one to eighty or something going into the fight. So it's not like it was a surprise win. Uh, but it's worth noting as well, those Scottish fans, they, you know, when you get a boxer up in Scotland who starts to build momentum, like that will build and build and build. Those Scottish fans love to get behind one of their own. Um, and so I think Josh Taylor is, you know, providing he carries on at this trajectory and they start making the meaningful fights with the likes of Catrell, the likes of Nurse, the likes of Ahara Davis. Um, there was the young lad on the undercard there, the uh, Scottish lad, the same weight division that did very well, knocking out our um, our friend from Russia, wherever he was, the one that fought Robbie Davis Jr., Zabo. Um, the lad that beat him, is it Easton? Yeah. Yeah, he, he looked great in doing that. A great finish. Um, so, you know, chuck his name into the mix whilst we're at it. We've got a whole load of young, untested fighters who can all start to make claims for being the best within that division. Fight each other. <laughs> Find out who it is. Because at the moment, it's all great. You know, Ahara Davis gives it the big nuts on Twitter. Fair play to him. Josh Taylor doesn't really do that. But, you know, Frampton does it on his behalf. Why are we all talking on Twitter? Let's just... I know Hearn says, oh, it needs to marinate. Fuck off. Like, just put them in there. Let's find out. Because don't forget, Groves and DeGale fought that early on in their career that most people forget Wasn't about. Wasn't that like now. Groves' eighth fight or something? Yeah, it was for a British title. And so, like, those two went to war for, like, a British title on pay-per-view early on in their career. And who wouldn't want to see that fight again now? That's the most legitimate fight for both of them out there that would make them the most money. So get these lads fighting now whilst they're young. And it just creates a narrative for six, seven years' time when they are maybe holding world titles. And then they can go back and fight again and get redemption. You know, like, there is no reason for these lads not to be fighting each other at this stage of their career. They just ought to be doing it. I would argue Joshua Klitschko didn't marinate. Just kind of just came out of any... Like, people were speculating about it, but it just came out of the blue, didn't it? But, but that doesn't need to. Remember we discussed on the podcast, there's certain boxes that fights fall into. One is passing the torch, which Joshua Klitschko essentially is. One is redemption, which Colin Anaris was. And then you get the who's the big dog in the yard sort of fight, which O'Hara Davis versus Josh, Josh Taylor would be. So you get those sorts of fights. And I think 
as long as you understand which box you're in, these fights can all make money. But this so is, what the marinating process is finding out which category they fall into. Well, no, there's no so, so if you say O'Hara Davis, Josh Taylor, you don't need to build that up because we already know what that means. But you right. need you need to build it up if it's O'Hara Davis against Ndongo. Like like what well, watch when Burns and Ndongo fight and Sky have to tell us why Ndongo's really really great. When most boxing people know, if we didn't know him a year ago, somehow I think he got lucky in a fight. He got okay. Troyovsky or whatever, didn't he? The, uh, yeah. Yeah, he was shit. Um, Nick Webb faced... I don't know. He was shit, whoever he was. Is that what I said earlier? <laughs> right, okay. That's now his name for the rest of this segment. Yeah, well, like, I thought it was quite... He, he fought some Angolan guy, like, as we said earlier. He did... No, he, he he did a few ring walks. He did the security, and then just thought, you know what? I'm gonna live up my dream. Just jump in there with Nick Webb. <laughs> you know, you know how occasionally, like during the marathon, the pace setter carries on when they should <laughs> when they should have stopped, but they're that far ahead that they're gonna carry on and win the marathon, right? That's what this geezer did. He was part of SAUK security, did the ring walk, and then went. Well, I've seen Nick Webb before. I'm gonna take the t-shirt off, and we're gonna go four rounds. Right, what a load of wank, and <laughs> this drives me insane. Again, when I said earlier about why, you know, the the top fights uh, from both cards should have just been amalgamated into one night, and then show some very brief highlights underneath. Nick Webb, I saw him get beaten at the O2 by Harry Miles, a cruiserweight. You won't find that result on BoxRec, because it was a massive robbery. He got beaten that night by Harry Miles, no doubt about it. Nick Webb, I don't even know why we're wasting this much time talking about it, if I'm perfectly honest, but I I would love to know how much money Scott Welsh is putting behind him from out of Brighton. Because he's fighting on big cards, televised cards. He fought on the undercard of Eubank Jr. Blackwell. Uh, I think you were at that, Andy. Uh, you probably won't remember it because it was poor. He, I'm sure he was on that one. He's been on various televised cards, big cards. They're putting money into this guy. He cannot box to save his life now he looks like david hay if you blew david hay up a little bit um you know what is he maybe six foot five six foot six and i'm sure if he connects with that big right hand that he swings trying to put your head into the concourse then i'm sure it's effective wait, wait, do you remember the uppercuts none of, which, <laughs> none of which connected and none of which even touched the opponent no uh, but right so the reason I wanted to give this some time is that Richie Woodall and uh, whoever else on commentary, can't remember the guy's name, they did not mention once during this fight how shit Nick Webb was. Not once. They might have like slightly glossed over it and said, oh, you know, it's not his best performance. At one point, Richie Woodall gets his record wrong, saying he's knocked every opponent out. <laughs> no, he hasn't, but carry on. <laughs> and he has to be corrected. Um, the commentary is just painful. We've said it before about Richie Woodall. Honestly, he's a waste of skin. Like, it just drives me <laughs> mad. <laughs> but, but if you look at Woodall, right, you can do most Woodall commentaries like this. He keeps holding his feet. I don't know why he's holding his feet. He's still holding his feet. He's not holding his feet. And he's getting caught between short and mid-range because short and mid-range is all I know about. Short and mid-range, holding but his feet. I, I have he's a got his question. On... And, 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 well, well, just one thing, and this is what annoys me. He commentates professional bouts like they're amateur bouts. Like, he expects people to be hopping in and out. And he always seems surprised when it goes into a fourth round. Like, what? <laughs> but it's embarrassing because they're so 
horrible to like the away fighter in all of these fights and they're really like oh he's giving it a good go there he's come in and oh he's had a little go there when actually what they ought to be really doing is saying these lads have come in probably at short notice for about a grand and a half risking you know fighting Nick Webb and Nick Webb can't put combinations together he can't throw an uppercut every time he goes (laughs) he'd get the lad in the corner and you've got a man in Nick Webb who's like six foot five, probably in about 16, 17 stone. Every time he pins the lad into the corner, instead of like standing there and taking a second, composing, and then doing something useful, instead he would just take a step forward, close all that sort of distance between the two, stand on the geezer's toes, and then throw like a T Rex little arms into the body. I'm like, what are you? Do- There's no leverage coming out of these shots whatsoever. Like, why are you trying to be a T-Rex rather than a boxer? Like, argh, fuck off to Jurassic Park. You're useless. And you see, his pro- <laughs> and, and Nick Webb's problem is this now, right? They've tried to rush him up the ladder as quickly as possible, but if he meets a Dave Allen, he gets smashed. Let's be honest, he gets smashed. If he meets an Ian Lewis, and he gets knocked into next year. Now. He can't even look back down because you've got Daniel Dubois coming up who will smash him to pieces. And if he doesn't do it, Nathan Gorman is a guy who will do it. Con Sheehan is a guy that can do it too. He he almost has nowhere to go because these, these prospects, as we call them, are shooting up so quickly that they're either going to take his his undefeated record or they're just going to basically take his space but what I don't get why are they putting so much money behind this geezer and taking him all around the country fighting on big bills they clearly see something in him that I don't know he's hiding it very well if that's the case maybe he's got a chin maybe he's just got that Holyfield chin yeah perhaps just quickly going back to something you were talking about commentators do you genuinely think that the commentators are clueless or do they have guidance and things that they are un are and aren't allowed to say, i.e. it might not be specific things, but it's like, right, guys, we need you to be really positive about Nick Webb. Don't say anything bad about him. You know, what? what is it? Surely it's confirmation bias. Every boxing person knows the home and away corner of a fight. And so you know Nick Webb is supposed to win that. And so they know ultimately Nick Webb will win that fight. There's no way Nick Webb wasn't going to win that fight because the other bloke couldn't stop him and he wasn't really throwing any punches. But here's the thing about commentating. And this is why I say, like, look, you, look at the WWE. They get it spot on, right? One guy does play-by-play. He tells me what's going on. Then there's another guy who puts that colour on it and will go, this like, is, this is yeah, a Yeah, sums, sums it up. No, 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 it sums it up. But he'll just give that, that, that slant. That's, you know, where he'll either play the heel or the face, depending on who it is. And Richie Woodall doesn't understand this. Richie Woodall tries to be super technical when there's already a play-by-play guy. Richie Woodall's supposed to be giving me that that high level view and you know what are the real tactics here don't talk to me about short and mid-range what are the tactics here you know what are the little details that the play-by-play guy can't do and it's like he doesn't understand that Bellew to his credit does and I know Bellew annoys a lot of people but him on commentary he's a lot better than Froch where did Bellew and Hay are the guys I love to listen to on commentary because they realise that the detail's not for them they're just for the Look, for three rounds, this guy's been stepping to the right, getting caught with right hands. He shouldn't be doing that. This is what he should be doing. Nice and simple. How is Bellew's broken hand without any cast on it? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't look particularly broken last night. I don't know. I'll tell, t- t- tell you who I give credit. Like, you got to give Sam Khan credit for spotting that one. 
Just the. I thought Bell, you broke his hand. That's his yeah. hand. I, was, I, thought, I thought Bell, you broke his hand. Fair play. And it was like, oh shit, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Didn't look very broke. Can't we just stick pins in it or something and just? Maybe you still have it casted. Or a scar. There'd be something there that shows I've had my hand fixed. And and, and the way he was just holding both hands, like he wasn't, he was comfortable. And doing a Rubik's cube. Uh, that's pretty <laughs> unnecessary, Tony. <laughs> um, so, uh, can I just ask quickly? Each of you, who your who would be your favourite? You touched on it there, but who would be your favourite commentary pair or team? Were you to what you could choose it for a show? Malinaji would be one for me. I enjoy listening to Malinaji. Who would be like your lead commentator? Um, the UK or just in general? Ian Dark. I, whatever. I like Ian Dark. Bring him in. So Ian Dark and Paulie Mann. Yeah, I'll tell her. So, so I like Al Bernstein as lead commentator. And then on colour commentary, I'd have... I like Tarver. It's either Tarver or Andre Ward. I like Antonio Tarver. He's really he's really insightful. But here's one out of left field. And you have to go back years to hear. Mike Tyson doing commentary is awesome. Um, I like him because he doesn't get too detailed, but he'll go... See the way he throws that right hand? It's like Rocky Marciano. Yeah, I remember he threw it in 1953. He's like an evolved version of Spencer Fierro. Because <laughs> Mike genuinely knows everything about An evolved boxing. version. That's probably putting it nicely. No, no, we love Spencer on this show. Spence, one love. Question for the pod from Senor Tasty. He asks... Comic. Let's uh, we're drifting into um, uh, politics. He asks, "What will the effects of UK boxing be if Brexit means no more imports of teak tough Hungarians?" Yeah, I mean, this is clearly it was from uh, Friday night when I think um, a teak tough Hungarian was getting a bit of a shellacking. Uh, clearly, slightly kind of tongue in cheek. But it's a legitimate point. Um, I've spoken with matchmakers who have got serious problems. There aren't that many British journeymen. Um, So to give you an idea, when you're getting in a Hungarian journeyman for, say, a four-rounder, you're looking at paying them somewhere in the region of up to one and a half grand, probably. Um, So some of that money will go to their agent. If the fighter themselves is lucky, they'll take home a grand. Probably not that much. Um, it depends which agents you're working with. Some of them are more morally driven than others. And so those Hungarians are picking up, I say, one and a half grand maybe as a total package. Now, there aren't that many UK fighters that are willing to, you know, go into these fights against British prospects for the same kind of money. So you've got the likes of, um, you know, the, the Dan Blackwells of this world that will fight anyone, um, over the four round distance. There just aren't that many of them when you spread it out across all the weight divisions. So when you start adding in the complexities of, say, Brexit, where you're going to have to start considering getting working visas for a fighter to come over for a weekend, you've got to start thinking about currency conversions. Will the the pound fall against the euro, etc.? Will it make it weaker? And then the cost of bringing over these Hungarians, you're suddenly looking at potentially adding on another 500 quid once you add all those bits in. And so that becomes unprofitable for promoters. If you think, at the moment, say a standard small hall show might have to bring over, uh, I don't know, maybe six, seven. um, And they tend to typically bring them in from the same gym, so you bring a single trainer over. 
you know, if you're thinking six or seven, and if you had to add on 500 quid for each one, that's a bit of a finger in the air value. It might be miles off. But if you said 500 quid, that's three grand that you're adding on. Three and a half grand if you had seven of them per show. So something like Brexit could, I say, if those working visas, if the currency all start to go against the UK, then it is going to have an impact upon boxing uh, to the detriment in that we don't have that many British journeymen. So, I mean, I've always wondered for boxers that are like quite good defensively but can't um, can't throw attacking combinations. Why don't they just become journeymen? Because there aren't that many of them about. Um, you know, you don't have to sell another ticket. You can go in against these prospects over four rounds. You know, if you love the sport that much, but you don't want to go out selling tickets and you can't, you know, knock people out, it's a, it seems like a fairly reasonable career. Well, see, I love that. All I was going to say was, you know, would we let Katie Taylor back into the fight? <laughs> <laughs> well, judging by this podcast, definitely, because we're all big fans. Um, we have another question from... David McGinley, he asks for a prediction for each of these fights if they happen tomorrow and you had your house on them. Linares v. Garcia, number one. Terry? Garcia. Nine. Same. Pedigree wins. Pedigree's pedigree. Crawler versus Flanagan. Crawler. I'm going to go with Crawler. And I saw that uh, David Allen was sending a few uh, teasing tweets to Ian Lewison, so maybe this will happen. It looks like it's gonna. They're being um, very, very friendly about it. To be fair, like it's quite nice to see warm-natured banter between two fighters rather than two fighters kicking off over Twitter. Um, so they're due to fight. Probably, uh, I think they're trying to set up a British title fight between the two of them. Uh, but they're just having a bit of a, a chat over Twitter and like doing a bit of man flirting with each other. Uh, like Dave Allen's trying to convince him to get him a pair of new trainers and stuff like that. So. Uh, yeah, like it's genuinely quite nice to see two people trying to build a fight without having to, you know, fabricate some hatred. And your prediction would be probably Dave Allen, unless I mean Ian Lewison posts a lot of stuff about being in the gym. I would make a prediction when I saw the weigh-in. I suspect. Yeah, because given what you said, Terry, about Ian Lewison um, and his his potential. That seemed, when he fought Dillian White, you were confident up to the point where you thought, oh, wait a minute, he hasn't even been training for this properly. So were he to train properly, presumably then you'd you'd make him favourite? If Ian Lewison came into any fight around 17 stone 2, 17 stone 3, he's a threat because he doesn't lose any power and he's a lot more mobile. And that's what makes him scary is is the fact that he can he can jab he can jab up top, dip that left shoulder, and boom the right hand. And once that connects, ooh, you know people are sleeping. Uh, just a shout to Daniel, who also asked, "Does Crawler beat Flanagan?" Well, based on that, then the answer would be yes. Yeah, ped- pedigree wins. I-, I think Flanagan's in a hard fight with this Petrov. Like everyone's not talking about Petrov, but if you've ever seen Petrov box, is that really strange defensive style where he almost has like a tortoise shell back. He keeps his elbows nice and tight, so he's hard to get to, but he can punch. Daniel then also goes on to ask, could you preview and predict the uh, Kelbrook-Errol Spence fight? So, I don't want to preview it because, you know, I'd be throwing good content away, man. Like, let's get close we'll to the fight. We'll preview it a lot nearer the time. I think I'm surprised they made the fight in Sheffield, and this is why. And I don't think they thought this through. 
Sheffield is the worst big city in this country for hotels, right? So if you were trying to book a hotel for Sheffield, you are not getting anywhere. If you don't know people in Sheffield, you're not getting it. Like, I'm having to reactivate old contacts if I want to go up there to stay. And Log back into Tinder and everything. <laughs> Just about to say, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I try to remember the name, the the password for my friend's reunited account. <laughs> He's trying to get into MySpace, but he can't remember the email he logged in. <laughs> so, so you have. Hi, Jenny. <laughs> it's been a long ten years. <laughs> He's still friends with Tom. <laughs> so, so number one, you're going to struggle for hotels. Number two, the thing will finish so late that you're not going to be able to get back to Leeds or Manchester, wherever it is you have found a hotel. So they're, they're the logistical problems of having a fight in Sheffield. Number two is the infamous ring of steel the Sheffield police will likely have there. So the Wednesday fans aren't coming to Bramall Lane because they know what they'll get. You know, they'll get their heads kicked in because that's just how Sheffield is. So half the city's not going to come to the Brooks Spence fight anyway which then means you have to then sell it to outsiders or people that live in South Sheffield because that's generally Sheffield United country. Hearn clearly hasn't thought this through, that you're going to have 40,000 people there that support Leeds, Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday. Once they start getting beard up, that could end badly. So I don't know how they're going to do security for that one. It, it, it strikes me as being either it's going to be such a small, such a small event that is going to be inconsequential or it'll be such a big event that it has no option but to kick off so let's see what happens because that's normally around the time of the football playoffs anyway Sheffield United and Wednesday could be involved in that so I think there are a lot of risk factors around that fight that people haven't paid attention to but overall look I'm just going to keep it very high level we don't know what happens to Errol Spence when he gets hit hard by a big welterweight that will tell us everything we need to know Simon Thompson asks, since Floyd beat Hatton, I think he's only stopped one other, Ortiz, with the uh, shifty side punch. Does he have hand problems like Calzaghe? Um, so Floyd's admitted he has hand problems. And that's why he moved more from, if you remember, old Floyd, pretty boy Floyd, was a fast combination puncher, didn't mind staying in the pocket and trading with you. And then he started to get hand troubles. And it was, okay, so how do I preserve the longevity of my career and that coincided with him focusing more of his time around Roger Mayweather who's defensively minded and so Floyd changed his game and he worked around you know his deficiency so throwing less punches but being more effective with what he does being more accurate and being defensively sound if you notice when Floyd Sr. came back into the equation he started to become more attacking again but never really went for it because he didn't know if his hand was going to give up or not. And he, he relies a lot on that right hand. And he wouldn't be the only one. So Prince Nassim retired at 28 because his hands couldn't take the punishment anymore. Um, to anyone listening, if you've ever seen a boxer's hands after a fight, you will understand what hand troubles are. Because, like, they're in bits. Look up, um, I mean, Jason Quigley fought during the week, didn't he? Broke his hand. Uh, and his right hand is just a balloon compared to his oh. left hand being normal. I remember when the worst I'd seen live was uh, speaking with Joe Mullinder after he fought Lee Markham at the O2 last year, and both of his hands... I mean, the two had just stood for 10 rounds, like, on each other's toes. Like and milling. 
<laughs> not milling, just oh, right, just okay. throwing punches into each other for ten rounds, and that was it. That's all they did for ten rounds: uppercuts, straight shots, hooks, just on each other's. T- it was the most insane fight I've ever seen. <laughs> and I went and spoke with uh, Joe afterwards, and uh, he was just stood around. I did that thing where you go up and like I know Joe a little bit, so I went to go shake his hand, and so and I was like, "Fuck," because like you know, being a man and seeing a boxer, like, I'm going to put an extra ten percent into this handshake. And I was like, "Oh," and I looked at his hand, and it was just the most like disgustingly broken-looking thing I'd ever seen. No, they, they end up looking like a like a rubber glove when you blow it up. That's exactly <laughs> it. I say, check out the Jason Quigley one. It was a mess. Because I say that, like, and people don't realize this: the number of times boxers are hitting each other on the elbow, on the wrist. On the top of the head. And those gloves have so little padding. Yeah. So, yeah. So, hand troubles. A lot of boxers do have hand trouble. And that's why glove choices become very important. So, especially guys like Floyd will tend to go with a friendlier padding. As opposed to guys like Pacquiao who tend to go for a more aggressive padding. And that's why the Everlast MXs were banned in their fight. Damien Taylor asks, what level does a boxer have to typically reach to do the sport full-time without a second job? Any examples or different scenarios that you can put forward? Yeah, I mean, there's a few. Um, typically, I think you could say British. like, And that might surprise a few people, but around about British levels, when you start to make significant enough money to be able to quit the day job. Um, and I was a little bit surprised about it when I first heard it, but... Um, Johnny Garton, who was English welterweight champion and uh, defended it once against Tyler Goodjohn, then dropped the belt. Um, he uh, he was still working in the garage whilst he was English champion. Then he eventually got the sponsorship in. So it's not necessarily about what the purses are for a fighter. It's about what sponsorship they're getting. So you've got different scenarios. Like when you get to those title levels, you're getting purses. But then you have young fighters coming through. So there's a young lad, uh, Dan Dan Keenan, based out of West London. Dan Dan has a huge following, huge following. He must sell 350 tickets probably per fight. Um, And so there's a fair chance, doing some rough estimations, he's probably taking home three, between three to four to five grand, depending on his ticketing deal, etc. per fight. Now, if he's fighting four times a year, which I guess he's hoping to, um, then you're looking at taking home a salary... You know, pre-tax of around about 20 grand per year, which he's 19 years old. Most 19-year-olds are probably okay with that salary. And that's just off of ticket sales. He's then got a couple of sponsors and he does a bit of personal training work, like a tiny bit of personal training work outside of the boxing ring. So like in that scenario, someone like Dan Dan, who's probably, li- I don't know his, um, his setup, but he's probably living at home with his parents at 19 years old. So he can concentrate on doing that. It's when you've got stuff like families and cars and mortgages and commitments that you, you know, all these different variables. So there isn't a single answer as to what level. But typically, if you're looking at somebody on TV, um, it probably surprises people how little some of the fighters are earning um you know if they're in these british title fights if they're in um uh, you know the wbc silver title fights stuff like that a lot of these olympians a figure that i heard once i don't know how true it is one way or the other is that some of the olympians when they're starting out are basically on about a grand around um so that counts for katie taylor that counts for lawrence Coley. so Coley would have been scheduled for four last night 
take a rough guess, he's probably on about four grand for last night's work. Now, that's an Olympian coming in on a Sky platform. That's not a huge amount of money. Again, like if you transpose that out across the year, which is why stuff like the sponsors, when you're getting those bigger TV platforms, and you know, it's why it's so imperative to make yourself a media-friendly person to be able to get in those bigger sponsors, because that's ultimately what kind of supports fighters until they're getting up to around world level. Jamie McDonnell, fucking WBA world title holder. He's a painter and decorator still Monday to Friday as well. He wow. does it to support himself still. Along with Gavin McDonald, his brother. So, you know, there just isn't the money in it that some would probably uh, suspect there is. And it's something we've been saying for a while. So, I sit and I talk to these these fighters every so often. And <clears throat> guys are naive because they train with these really old school guys. They just assume, you know what, mate? Just go to your local scaffold and ask for a bit of sponsorship. But the problem is, there are so many professional boxers. What is it, like 2,000 pro boxers in this country now? There isn't enough sponsorship to go around. So what you're now trying to do is you're saying, well, what's the added value? And so when I sit down with these fighters, I say to them, look, yeah, what you need to do, get yourself affiliated, not with football clubs like they used to, because that's great for ticket sales, but everyone's kind of got a football club locked down. You've got to start finding these guys with the cash, you know, and then you've got to go in. And if they want to do white collar, you got to be that guy that trains them, gets in their corner. Why? Because... You're appealing to rich people's egos. And if you don't know how to do that, you're not going to get sponsored. And a lot of these guys don't get it. So it's about sitting down with them and planning that and going, look, this is how you want to do it. This is what you can realistically expect to get. And then how do we fill in the gap? But I like the fact that it's not a very lucrative sport because it shouldn't be. You should be rewarded because you're good. Or you should be rewarded because there are people who want to pay for you to be involved in the sport. Because I know there are, there, are, there are guys, and you know, naming them will make my life awkward, <laughs> but there are, there are guys who have had a chance on large platforms and have choked, and now they're bitter because no one wants to sponsor them so they can make a living boxing. But it's like, well, you had your chance to show you're good. You know, that's how boxing works. You get your chance in the spotlight. If it's not for you, you go back, back down to the bottom, build yourself back up, you know. Because otherwise, these guys will just block. And I guess it's what keeps boxing fresh. You can't sustain it if you're not any good. So it gets rid of the deadwood pretty quickly. You either become a journeyman or you fall out of the sport. Um, you know, look at someone as talented as Darren Hamilton. And Darren Hamilton, you know... British what, champion. Yeah, was British champion. I remember Spencer talking about this guy challenging for world honours and whatnot. Where is he now? Well... And he was good. Yeah, he was doing like twenty pound an hour personal training sessions. Now, do you know what I mean? Like it's even as I say, doing it full time doesn't set you up for life by any. You know, it's not a, a future provider being a boxer full time at British champion level. Well, even Andy Connor, the level that Andy Connor's. When you look at it over the, is he set for life? You know, neither of you two no. said. You no. could say it with absolute certainty. No, no. Bell, you will be. Well, Bell, you. Because remember, you're you're losing forty percent of your purse to the tax man. That whatever happens, you're losing forty percent to the tax man. So you've already lost half your income. Providing the people, you know, kept that money safe and invested it well, or whatever. The people, the British boxers of the last four to five years that are in a position where they can retire off of boxing. You could probably count on two hands, probably one. So you're looking at the likes of Froch, 
Khan, Bell you now, Hay. Hadden. No, he, well, he's a trainer, isn't he? Like, whether he does that for his... He probably earned enough. I don't think yeah. he's invested it particularly. Yeah. Um, oh, we just invested in the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it yeah. looks like Calzaghi doesn't need anything. Yeah, Calzaghi. Um, Fury should probably be in a position... Other than that, I'm struggling. I'm scraping a little bit to think of boxers. Groves, DeGale. Groves and DeGale, yeah, that's fair. Uh, I said Frotch at the beginning. But there aren't that many that spring to mind. You're going to struggle at the smaller weights. Yeah, yeah. I say there just aren't that many that spring to mind that make you think they're definitely set, providing they've not spunked all their money on stupid things. Boxing is binary and it's asymmetric. You either have it all or you have nothing. But what do we say? There's 3,000-ish active boxers in the country? Yeah. Um, of which we can name probably ten that have retired within the last five years. So or... It's like the one. It's like one percent, basically. Yeah. somewhere around that. A little bit less than one. Less than one, but... like well under, probably naught point naught one percent. And this is what you try and explain to these female boxers who are coming up, and you say, "This isn't about sexism. It's just about brutal economics. If there's ten of you coming up at the same time." One of you will make a living from boxing. That's not sexism. That's the economics of boxing. If it was 10 lads, I'd say exactly the same thing. It is a tough, tough game. If you if, if you don't get that opportunity, like, you know, th- there are guys who've got the opportunity by dint of being from Essex so they can get to a Sims gym and you get an opportunity. Is this to do the structure of boxing and the, fan sh- the, like, the fandom? Because obviously football has enough money in it to support Hundreds of players, but it's scalable. How many people play football? Like yeah. probably ten times the people that box, twenty times the people that. And I'm talking down to grassroots kids playing Saturday afternoon football, adults playing Saturday afternoon football. How many are in a boxing gym? Very few. Yeah. So like the money is reflective of how many people and, are participating. And also look at the drop off though. Like if you play for Chelsea or if you play for Sutton United. The drop off is massive, just like boxing. Is as Martin said, yeah. it's just like it's in a again. Scale. Well, yeah, what percentage of people yeah. are making it as you know making a living out of football? Not point not one percent probably that are you know involved or start off on the the road to it. Okay, um, Shamir asks you got well sort of declares you guys tend to be far more discerning than me. I imagine, not especially me. you not two, me more tonight. discerning than most people, if I'm honest. But, um. I just dive into fandom. So, views on Dimitri Bivol. Bivol. Dimitri Bivol. Dimitri, you, you know who he's talking about. Yeah, um, I put him in that hipster box where you, you, you find someone on YouTube and then you get excited about them. But as we've learned in boxing, you've got to give someone a couple of years. Man. You've got to show me a body of work. Like I know he's got the amateur background, but you've got to show me a body of work in the pros where I'm like, Okay, I understand what you're trying to do, and I can place you in the landscape. Okay, Simon Thompson asks, top three single shot knockouts ever. He, he wants it to be from all three of us, but me and mine aren't going to do it. So, Terry? Um, let's start with number one, just for wow factor, and the, basically the punch that ba- it changed the world, really. So, Pacquiao Marquez four, Marquez's right hand onto Pacquiao's chin. I don't think... That left him face down. You don't see many yeah. face down. Snoozing. Um, stick with Pacquiao. So you've got Pacquiao's right hook onto Ricky Hatton, where the ref looked at Ricky Hatton and Hatton was just like, just let me sleep. So the ref just let him sleep. Um, if we go old school, 
Bob Foster knocking out Mike Quarry. Um, so I think that was after the Rondon fight. So that's the early 70s. I think Bob Foster, one of the best left hooks in history. So that was really good. Same thing with Dick Tiger as well. So he beat Dick Tiger for the light heavyweight title, which was nice. But for me, the most impressive one where I still look at it and I go, it makes no sense to me. George Foreman on Michael Mora. So I don't know if, if you've seen this one, round 10. Foreman doesn't really move. It's He, he turns about half an inch and throws a punch and Mora just drops. And that's when you realise Foreman's just a different... He's genetically wired to hurt people. You know? And make delicious grills for them as well. I don't know. You don't eat the grill. I'm sure the food is delicious off the grill. Well, that's all thanks to George Foreman. Special shout out to Amir Khan for uh, laying out against Canelo as well. We're going to put this list together. (laughs) And then let's see. Golovkin against Ishida. Where Ishida just basically (laughs) fell out the ring. I I liked the... um... I liked to, who was that young Pakistani lad who came out like giving uh, it the big and Uz, Uzi Ahmed uh, against <laughs> Ashley was it against Ashley Sexton? Ash Sexton yeah that was so satisfying yeah, yeah. fucking danced for five minutes in a leisure centre to the ring and then got just iced <laughs> I'm trying to think of who else James Tony he has to be in there Tony Williams can go in there Basically, any of Roy Jones's left hook knockouts. What was the one where he did he put his hands behind his back? And they just whack the yes. guy. And that was fairly recent as well. It wasn't even prime. I, wish, I can't even remember. That was his literally hands behind the back. Bang. There's one I like. Johnny Garton against Ryan Fields, which is when Johnny Garton won the English welterweight title. Just threw a left hook from hell. <laughs> it was on the same weekend as the Khan Canelo fight, but I don't know your call and saw it live. Yeah. And... Oh, this is when your video sent sent to us in videos. Mm, you? No, oh, right. no, uh, and it just it left Ryan Fields just you know when you're getting the oxygen out and <laughs> they're getting them, you know like Johnny Garton didn't celebrate until that lad was back up on his feet like he's just won the English title which is like his world title but you, you the lad didn't even celebrate until everything was back and and ready. I saw a friend of mine again like mine will come from small hall but. Uh, it was a lad I trained with, Luke Robinson, who, uh, when I was in the gym, I used to say to him, you keep your left hand so low, so low when you come in. And I was like, you must really trust your chin. Then one weekend, he was fighting a, uh, it was only his second fight. His first fight gets a knockout win. Second fight against a, a foreign opponent, not a journeyman, a, a live foreign opponent, who all he was doing was throwing this big overhand right, lands it off the chin of Luke, who just drops... <sighs> Like half a foot in front. This is a lad I've trained with drops half a foot in front of me. His eyes, like not even blinking, just wide open, laid out on the canvas, <laughs> looking at me from about <laughs> half a foot away. And I sat there like oh, shit. Seriously, man. he he looked dead for like. And again, it's one of those ones where like it takes the oxygen and all that. I felt just horrible looking at that. that give, will, a, give us a token on that oxygen. <laughs> yeah, but like that that will stick with me until the day I go. And just because I knew the lad as well, but it was oh, it was a hell mate. of a knockout. And like, yeah, I, you know, I hope he's good. If he's listening, I, you know, lovely lad. And then three more. See, I've had time to think now. Three more. All oh, right. Okay. Well, he's get, he, wanted, he wanted three from all of us. He wanted nine. We've already given him about twelve. So That's good. Keep going. Julian Jackson, Harold Graham. Um, I think that was round four. Basically, Harold Graham's giving him an absolute beating. Looks like the rest going to stop it. Comes in with his hands, though. Jackson's just thrown a right hand from hell. If you can find that on YouTube, Harold Graham versus Julian Jackson. And it's the commentary as well that makes it special. Just the, oh, no! And it was actually like that. 
No, um, probably not as good as your skeleton impression there. No, no, nothing ever will be. Um, Roberto Duran versus Thomas Hearns. I think we should whack that one in there. And then Mike McCallum versus Don Curry. Brilliant. All right, I'm bored of this now. Um, we can do this all night. Yeah, yeah, great. Um, okay, love the uh, Max Williams says loves the podcast. Which boxer would you say underachieved the most in terms of titles versus his popularity, and which overachieved? Kevin went Mitchell. When he wasn't. Kevin Mitchell. Look, let's like a very live one. Who overachieved? Anthony Crawler's overachieved. This is a guy who like in his mid twenties was on prize fighters. Did he lose to Derry Matthews on a prize fighter? Was it a prize fighter or, okay. or British title? But he, yeah, he lost to Derry Matthews. He should not be at that world title level. He's lost. He's a prime example of why that O on a fighter's record is irrelevant because he's taken all these hard fights coming up. His fights with Derry Matthews, one of them won fight of the year when the two of them were just, you know, around British title level. Um, you know, he's overachieved. And because of that overachievement, it brings in the fans as well. Like, Ricky Hatton had a huge Manchester following, but he didn't overachieve necessarily, Hatton. It maybe he did with the Costa Zoo fight when he was at his peak. Um, but yeah, like I think Anthony Crawler has overachieved, and that's helped him get that Manchester following that was there last night. And yeah, that's a fantastic thing for him. Um, who's achieved more titles when their talent may not have warranted it? So who's Andy overachieved? Crawler. Yeah, yeah, okay, right, fair enough. Froch. Um, no one says this, but Carl, Carl Froch. Um, how many times did that guy come from behind to win? Now, he beat the Jermaine Taylor that beat Hopkins twice. Let's remember that. And that was a live Jermaine Taylor. That was a scary Jermaine Taylor. I think it's a difficult one for under like being very popular and underachieving because you'd have thought they're the blokes that turn up to small hall shows of like 600 people or whatever and then don't well, win a match well, it's kevin mitchell right yeah, like, yeah. Like, there's there's no bigger underachiever than kevin mitchell that night at upton park when he lost to michael katsidis because he'd been out on the lash for like <laughs> weeks before and living off a sofa uh in his first world title fight at upton park his hometown football club and he failed to turn up properly because he'd been out on the stage. Hey, do you ever, do you ever can't wow. see this before that fight? He looked charlied up. Yeah. Do you ever like, come on, I'll kill you? And you're like, whoa. It's a great skeletal impression. He showed the two different levels. But, um, yeah, Kevin Mitchell should have achieved. He should have been a world title holder. Uh, I, I know what this is. Uh, the answer to this one's going to be Max William also asks given his 18 month absence and age, is there any chance McGregor might catch Floyd early? No. And- <laughs> That's the end of it. I kind of asked this the other day on text between the two of them, and they're just like, no, absolutely not. No chance. We told you to fuck off, Andy. We're not going to yeah. say that to Max. Max sounds all right. But, but a, a proxy fuck off via me, Max. <laughs> <laughs> you can the question, over if the you question's want. been asked, to and you. I've been told to rod off. So That's um, on your shoulders, Andy. Uh, he also suggests a replacement for Argue the Inarguable, which is dead and buried now, um, and a series of what ifs. What if Floyd lost to Castillo? Uh, and and Hay fought Fury in 2013. Do we want to tackle that? If Floyd had lost to Castillo, he'd have won the rematch anyway. Um, we'd, we'd, we'd be right back to where we are. And if Hay had fought Fury, I think Fury would have beaten Hay anyway. 
Uh, I think, yeah, it was possibly his opportunity to, you know, his coming out party yeah. that he had against Klitschko would have probably just come a little bit earlier. Mm. Uh, you know, we <laughs> And then he would have been avoided. Yeah, the reason that, you know, we were all taken aback by the Klitschko win was because Fury had never had that opportunity to take a, an opponent of that level before. That was his opportunity. <laughs> you know, he was so confident going into it that, you know, who who are we to doubt that he couldn't have done what he did to Klitschko against Hay earlier on. And he's... So he stepped up that level and now he stepped up another level and adopted the double punch, which uh, obviously... Which he did on Daniel Dubois. How small did Daniel Dubois look in that yeah, picture? I, yeah. That lets yeah. you know how big Fury is because Daniel Dubois is what? 16 and a half stone? It's, 6 foot 5? He's so, so big, Fury. Yeah. <laughs> that belly is, some, is a thing of... Well, in some ways, a thing of beauty. But it's definitely not going to help. But apparently, <laughs> Fury's looking sharp. I hope so. I mean, it'll be it'll be really. Can, I would say this: like, there's certain people that like, you don't lose it. You might get older, you might slow down a bit, but you don't lose that ring craft. Well, he shouldn't. Hopefully, all right. We've got a long last question before we run away because it's going on. So, um, Golovkin. To be? No. <laughs> No, I haven't. I, I genuinely haven't. <laughs> so that's um, off oh, the cards. Has she mugged you off? No, no, it's just not happening. Well, I suppose, yeah, all right. If you want to call it mugged off, she's cancelled on me. She cancelled on you. Not, We're I'm getting not, this live on the podcast. I'm not smashing the Polish book. Well, in fact, it wasn't even supposed to be a smash in any way. Oh, wow. It was. Like, yeah. we, we read between your lines here. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's get which wouldn't be complete, would it? Um, Sam Khan asks. Why are we moving on? <laughs> If it, you've got to when your heart's broken. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is that one of your songs? <laughs> <laughs> if this is the case, what does it say about the finance model for sport? She's referring to Golovkin Jacobs, Jacobs reportedly only clearing 170k on pay-per-view via HBO. That's a disaster because Loeffler wanted at least 300k because then he could have said Golovkin and Canelo do similar numbers. Canelo will give you a baseline of 300,000 pay-per-view buys. doesn't matter who he fights. You know I, mean? I think he did 300,000 with Liam Smith. So there's that problem. I think also the problem now is in America they have Tiger Stream and most of the boxing fans are watching it through Tiger Stream. So they're not paying to watch it. So you pay Tiger Stream, you get your HD streams and you're not paying for it. Um, so once... You, once you start the streaming model, what it says is no one wants to pay $70 to watch a pay-per-view anymore, which is sensible. And we're in a modern era where, you know I mean, music is now zero cost. Movies are virtually zero cost. How on earth can you justify paying for a pay-per-view at $70 in HD? You can't. So everyone's looking at alternative distribution methods. I know having spoken to Andre Ward's team, that's their question. What's the next distribution model? that enables you to generate significant revenue. And we've discussed it before. It's the new platforms. It's selling a pay-per-view for £5 on Facebook, on Apple, on Amazon, on Netflix. That's what they really want to do. They want to be able to do that. You know, and then you can sell 20 million of them globally. Nice and easy. You don't have to worry about licensing anymore because you, you go direct to the consumer. You know, None of these carriage fees. So Eddie Hearn could just do Eddie Hearn broadcasts straight through Amazon so you don't have to pay Sky anymore so there are all kinds of options but what you can't keep saying is this pay-per-view model works 
I think we're insulated in the UK because most most business models are based on ticket sales still. So we we will do the thirty thousand venues or the twenty thousand venues. Whereas in America, look at the Barclays Center. The Barclays Center is sixteen thousand. Madison Square Garden is about eighteen thousand. They're not big enough venues to generate the money that they need. But then again, look at Vegas. So the biggest take boxing takes in history have been. 72 million for Mayweather Pacquiao. That was in Vegas. Capacity 16,000. And then it just goes down and they're all in the same MGM in Vegas. Right, we've reached the end of the questions. Uh, quickly, let's preview Bradis versus Huck coming up this weekend. Uh, just watch it, man. It'll be great fun. It'll be um, violence on a TV. <laughs> so if you invert Brian Rose versus Jack Armfield, you'll get Bradis versus Huck. Uh, just two men that love a fight. Um, so just watch it. That's all I'm going to say about it. Two big cruiserweights. You know, Bradis is the man that Bellew ran to heavyweight from. Like <laughs> Bellew didn't want anything to do with Bradis because there's no money for the risk that would be there. So just bear that in mind when you're watching it. Uh, Ola Athalabi is returning. And oh. that was a major announcement this week. That's fantastic news for, for boxing in general. So, I know Ola. I mean, he's he's a friend of a friend. And I remember the day he walked into Fitzroy Lodge Boxing Club and he came and trained and we were asked, what do you think of him? And it was like, yeah, whatever. He's all right. And then he was asked not to come back. He's like, nah, we'll, we'll take your mate, but not you. Fast forward a few years later after he starches Enzo Macronelli and, he, and he, he walks back in with the belt. <laughs> so, but I felt for him because, because he was meant to lose that fight. No British promoter wanted to work with him after that. You'd have thought after beating Macronelli, this is the guy you put money behind and they chose not to. So he always had to fight on the road. So he, he was on the wrong end of at least two decisions against Marco Huck. One was deserved. Um, he was Klitschko's sparring partner for years. And he I know he was the chief guy they had in there for David Hay. And so he was in camp for that. He's he's a he's a nice he's a nice guy, came up the hard way, went out to the wild card with Freddie Roach, which is where he learned to box. I'm happy to have him back. I think he deserves at least one or two more paydays. Let him set himself up for life. If Bellew is a man of honour, he would fight on that for life to say who's the best cruiserweight of this generation. And I think that might be it, unless you guys got anything else to add. No, I'm done. I'm done. We have really sort of run aground at this point um, through a lack of... Well, actually, we had... So I'd just say thank you for all the amazing questions we've had this week. It's been non-stop, so brilliant. We've um, had shitloads. Brilliant. Thank you very much for them. Still no reviews yeah. on iTunes further to last week, so... Uh, but, more importantly, you know, got to just shout out to, you know, to the guys who helped me with my, my retail purchases, AmmoWare. You know, looking forward to getting those gloves. Listen, if you're serious about boxing, AmmoWare is the future. You haven't even tried them yet. They might be shit. No, no, oh, yeah, they're amazing. Quick, they might be quick, shit. They're quick amazing. shout out to JD Sports, King of Trainers. Got to shout out my sponsors. What kind of percentage are we getting off these? Oh, mate, there's so many trainers. Let's do a listener's offer. Let's Come on, Ammo, get in contact, right? <laughs> listener's offer. Just type in, like, Eddie's and Nob. And you get 10% off. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. But, but seriously, though, so congratulations to them. They're, they've taken the risk, gone into the boxing glove market. 
it looks like they're doing it the right way. So always good to have competition. And if they're putting the fighter first, we always got to support that. What if the gloves are shit though? You still haven't tried them. Ah, I have faith. <laughs> I, I have George Michael. He's I, ten foot under yeah. now. I have mock-ups. I have mock-ups. We've done the computer-generated imagery. We've done the, the modelling. We've done the modelling. Perfect. Just perfect. This. If you just go into any JD no, sports store as well and pick something up, you can walk straight out of the door. Just turn just the new age box. <laughs> I'm sure they'll understand. They might not, but whatever. Just tell them, yeah, you listen to the podcast and they'll just let yeah. you go. Am aware, worn by the best boxers in the world. Go find them. Follow them. Buy their gloves. They're, yeah, so, they're so good. You don't even have to I'm try getting, them to know I'm how good they are. Out of this. Andy's not getting anything out of this. I'm going to shit on them next week. You've you got to negotiate these deals. Um, if you want to send us anything, send, send us stuff. Like Apparently, that's just the way you do it, isn't it? James Sport, <laughs> King of Trains. This is unbelievable. I can't believe we're not officially endorsing this no. as a podcast. That's a personal endorsement. We've never known. No, like, literally no sponsors. And the reason we have no sponsors is because you two like to slander people. <laughs> so we wouldn't even have sponsors anyway. Because nobody wants to be associated with, yeah, blah, 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 blah. He's a dick. And I don't like him because he's a knob. And I, I like everybody. But yeah, until they do something you don't like and then you rip them to bits. Like, like who, wait, 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 hold on. who likes someone who did something that you don't like? Yeah. How does that work? Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, mate, you just took my girlfriend. Cool, like you. <laughs> right, I guess that's it then. All right, thanks very much for listening. Get in touch, Get as always. Review us on iTunes, otherwise Martin won't be happy. Go and buy stuff from all the places that Terry's mentioned. Listen, start, start sharing this thing as well. I'm tired of people liking shit, man. Retweet and share. You're tired of them liking it? Because <laughs> likes don't go anywhere, man. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Retweets, loves, man. <laughs> lost it. All right, okay. Thank you very much for listening. Take care. See you next week. <laughs>